I wanted to start what I was uh, sharing tonight with a song. No, I'm not going to sing. Everybody wouldn't run. I have one of those voices only, only, only the Lord would love, you know? Anyway, uh, let's welcome Andre and Doug. They're going to be singing the song, Blessed Assurance. Would you like to stand up for that? Much of bless us. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of. Spirit and washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my submission all is at rest I in my Savior am happy and blessed watching and waiting looking above filled with his goodness and lost in his love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Thank you for that. Let's just pray here. Father God, yes, this is our story. This is our song. We praise you, Lord God, all the day long. For, Lord God, we are blessed with the assurance of knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that the believer can always rejoice, Lord, daily in that blessing. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. And yes, a thank you to Andre and Doug for their kindness there. 
which is really what I want to speak on tonight. Our God is a God of assurance. That's what I want to speak on tonight. And that song just, I thought, said it so best. Uh, how, many, how many thousands and thousands of believers over the years have sung that song? Uh, our God is a God of assurance. And one simple definition of assurance is confidence. Uh, a promise that can be trusted. A guarantee. A promise that can be trusted. We have confidence that uh, comes with being a believer. That we are secure in him. Very important statement. This is a fundamental one-on-one belief for all Christians. We're secure in him. There's nothing lacking. I have a peace at that. That should be foundational with us always, all our days. Never something we take for granted, but something that we're always grateful for. Uh, I didn't deserve this, yet he gave me something that I am, should be grateful for all my days that assurance. John chapter 10 verses 20 to 30, 27 to 30. Here we have Jesus speaking again, very important scriptures. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Mm, that's assurance talk. My Father has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Isn't that good news? The devil, sin, and death cannot grab us out of the secure hand that he holds me with. Isn't that good news? These are verses we should be meditating on because you have a world out there that lies to you every day. Not, not filled with faith, not filled with belief, and they'll try to rob you of the faith and belief that you have. That's why we got to constantly remember that no one can snatch me out of his hands. I have no idea why Bible-believing Christians preach you can lose your salvation. Why? Why? I don't get it. Are you planning uh, uh, or afraid to walk away? I don't get this. I want to cling to him all the more, not worry about walking away. Amen. The more I consider, the more I want to cling. I want people to say, oh, you're one of those needy ones. Yes, I am. I'm in very much in need of his presence every day. We have a security. So I want to say it again. We have a confidence that comes from being a believer, and that is we're secure in him. Jesus is my guarantee, my assurance. I can trust him with my eternity. It's a one-on-one basic belief, but yet it's something we have to constantly always remind ourselves and be grateful for. Uh, there's no proof in the natural to me to say such a thing, yet I cling in faith. I believe in what I do not see. I trust Jesus' words to me. And all that Jesus ever asks us is that we trust him and believe him for our eternity. Trust in him and believe him. That's all he ever asks us. Men put a lot of uh, weight on our shoulders, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. And some are good things, but hey, what it comes down to is, are you trusting in him? Do you believe he is the one sent of the Father? Do you believe that he and the Father are one? Can I trust him with my eternity beyond this world? Then I have assurance. 
And no one on the face of this earth can talk me out of it. By the way, there are true stories of martyrs that have uh, uh, been gone to the stake and been burnt alive. And eyewitnesses have said they've had smiles on their faces, looking up to heaven, singing psalms. That's not normal. How can you do something like that? It's a supernatural infusion that came upon them of the presence of God, the assurance they had. So, you know, uh, very important that we get that. You know, he's given us all these promises in his word. This is a promise book full of promises that we read, hold on to dearly. And what he promised us should not be a mystery to us. So we're going to look at many scriptures tonight and their promises. And we can trust him for what he's promised us. He's able to make them come to pass. Our part is faith. Believing in what I do not see, believing what in this natural realm gives me no witness to believe, yet I believe. Uh, so I want to mention tonight six things that we have as an assurance. Uh, this side of heaven. And I say this side of heaven because I could add a seventh easily, which is be the assurance of us being with him in eternity. I'm not going to go into that aspect tonight, uh, but surely... Uh, our eternity with him is our greatest assurance that we have. Amen. Amen. This is a dress rehearsal for eternity. We have to remember that. This is not the final destination. We have a dress rehearsal here for eternity. But I'm not going to talk about eternity tonight. I want to look at this side of heaven. So bear in mind what I'm sharing tonight. We could spend several Wednesdays on this, on each of these topics. Tonight I just want to do a brief overview of them. Always remember uh, this side of heaven. These are my assurances that I have. So if you're taking notes here, let's do the first one. In Christ, we have the assurance of salvation. That's number one. We have the assurance of salvation. Uh, and salvation... Uh, or saved uh, in, in, in the New Testament comes from the Greek word sozos, S-O-Z-O, and it basically means a total wholeness. We, uh, we are saved spirit, soul, and body. A total wholeness comes to us. When I get born again, I get a new recreated human spirit. But I don't get a new soul. That's my mind, my intellect, my personality, my memories, my will, my emotions, my feelings, my entire memories of life that make me uniquely me. I don't get a new soul. The Word of God comes in me to renew my soul. And I work out the salvation I have in my spirit through my soul realm. And then we have the promise one day of a new body, the promise one day of a glorified body, the fullness of our salvation. So it's a total wholeness. We're getting restored the way Adam and Eve were before sin, before the fall, to have fellowship with God. This is all a part of our total wholeness and salvation. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. And this, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. Not will, has given us eternal life. And this life is in the Son. And he who has the Son has the life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. So if I have Jesus as my Savior, I already have that life. But in the original Greek here, the word for life is zoe, Z-O-E. There's many different Greek words for life. This particular one refers to a higher quality of life. 
When I come to Christ, uh, the best way I can describe it with human language is zoe. I find a higher quality of life comes into my being as I've never known before. Jesus gives me something and access to something I could have never had apart from him. Because of him, I have the presence of the living God inside of me. I'm a recreated human spirit. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus, something that's never been before. I have a new higher quality of life, and mainly that new higher quality of life means I have the life of God in me. I have access to uh, the presence of the living God, the almighty God of eternity. I have access because of my faith in Jesus. Wow! That is like mind-blowing 101. Wow! I got to think about that one. Then I got to think about it again. Then I got to meditate on that for the rest of my life. I have access to the living God of eternity because of Jesus. I have this higher quality of life in me. I have, I have, I've been touched by the Godhood of heaven that I would have a higher quality of life. No, I'm not teaching Mormon weirdness that you're a God and you're going to be a God one day. I'm not teaching that nonsense. That's heresy. What I'm saying is uh, the Godhood has touched my life, touched your life if you're a believer. You have the higher quality of life in you because you're a believer. So here, we have been touched by the life in the heavenlies here on this earth. And the kingdom of God is now revealed to us. And uh, we have from uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. I don't have it on the screen there. Uh, Jesus is being quoted here by the writer of Hebrews. And it's interesting. The quote they bring of Jesus is not found in the Gospels. How about that? John tells us there are things that Jesus said and did that weren't recorded. And interesting, this writer, of he, which I believe is Paul, the writer of Hebrews, quotes Jesus, but it's not a quote from the Gospels. And he says here, um, For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. How about that? You won't find that in the Gospels. Yet, he quotes Jesus. He will never leave me nor forsake me. That's one of the greatest comforts I can ever have because many people in life have experienced horrible things, had the worst that life could ever afford them, attack their lives, yet we have the promise that he will never leave me nor forsake me. Now what I will ever face in the future, he will never leave me nor forsake me. I have that assurance. And that always has to be on my mind because the enemy will never tell you that. When the horrible things of life that could happen or we could experience, he'll never say, oh, by the way, Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. He's not going to say that to you. He wants to, where's your God now? I thought you believed. I don't see him there, do you? I don't see him either. That's the voice of the enemy, discouragement. We need to, as David encouraged himself in the Lord, we need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. My God will never leave me nor forsake me. That's a scripture that should always be memorized on our tongues. My God will never leave me nor forsake me because he's given me his very life. So Jesus is that giver of the eternal life, the Zoe life of God. We could spend a whole time on that. So the life of God in us, the very presence and the personhood of God is in us by Holy Spirit. Wow. That is something that we have as an assurance that this world can never give you. And your education could never give you. You can't learn it by your intellect. It's not found by the rational mind. It's not found by how hard you work and what money you earn and how much you can give. It doesn't exist. Only found by faith. Only found because we believe.
In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, another very important scripture to always remember. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. As the old expression goes, all roads may lead to Rome, but they don't lead to heaven. Buddha doesn't lead to heaven. Hinduism doesn't lead to heaven. Islam doesn't lead to heaven. Only one in the name of Jesus. What do we do with the name of Jesus? Only him, only in him can I find Zoe eternal life, the higher quality of life. And uh, this eternal life is given just simply to all those that would believe on him. That's an amazing thing. I can't earn it. I can't work hard enough to get it. I don't have to uh, crawl on my knees for days and bleed and say, am I ready now, Lord? No, no nonsense that I could do of my own flesh that I could boast. Look how hard I've worked. Look how hard I've studied. Look how much money I gave. It's freely given. All he asks is that we believe him. That's our assurance. The assurance of salvation. Okay, let's look at number two here of insurance. Number two. Uh, an assurance that we have in Christ, we have the assurance of forgiveness. That's another big one, salvation and forgiveness. You know, one of the greatest burdens people carry in life is the things they've done wrong. And some people have done some horrible things in the eyes of men. And yet our God offers us forgiveness. Wow. That's an amazing thing. I've always met people over the years just plagued by the inability to forgive themselves for past mistakes, past sins, past failures, things they ought to have done and didn't do. Uh, and uh, they persecute themselves day after day, year after year. Meet them all the time. But if you're a believer, your God has forgiven you. Here's another really important scripture. This is one of the biggies. John chapter 5, verse 24. We have Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you. Oh, well, let's stop there again if you don't know what that means. This is a very strange thing in the first century. It's an Aramaic expression. Uh, it basically means what I'm about to tell you, you won't believe me. You'll call me a liar. So in the first century, they would usually raise their hand to heaven and say, truly, truly. King James says, verily, verily, I saith unto thee. Uh, another translation, this is the truth I tell you. When Jesus talks like this, he drops bombs. What follows is heavy stuff. And here's a bomb he's going to drop. And you've got to remember now, there's Pharisees around there. They're Sadducees. They're listening to him. When they hear truly, truly, their ears like perk up. What's he going to say? What, what will I not believe that you're going to tell me? Truly, truly, I say to you, he says, the one who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. That's good news. I have passed out of judgment because Jesus took my judgment for me. I have passed out of judgment. If you're a believer, you don't ever have to fear judgment. Jesus took it for you. That's the forgiveness part. He's removed our sins, and it says in the, in the Old Testament, as far as the east is from the west. There is no, nothing I can, but I did this. I failed here. I don't know what you're talking about. It's forgotten. It's forgiven as if it never happened. 
heavy stuff. We don't come into judgment. Next month, I'll be doing a series on every Wednesday night next month on uh, why we're living in the end times, the last days. And uh, one of the saddest things was when we read words about judgment in the last days, so many Christians read that this is about them. You have passed out of death. You have passed out of judgment. It's the John 5 scripture. We have passed out of judgment. It's not on his church. It's not coming on his church. Amen. Amen. He says he knows us. He, Jesus has harsh scriptures uh, that he speaks to and says, I never knew you. That's not his church that he's speaking that to. That's not going to be you and me, the believer. We have passed out of judgment. To pass out of judgment is to be forgiven. It's good to be forgiven. Amen? It's good to be forgiven. Uh, there's an old expression, uh, one who has done much uh, and is forgiven is more grateful than someone who hasn't. That is, we are more grateful for what he has done for us when we realize our great failures of life. And I've met people who have done some horrible failures in life, and they're forgiven. And they're forgiven if they've come to Christ. So, to be forgiven by the Father, as I said before, it's as if it never happened. Isn't that something? Unfortunately, we remember in our heads, we need to do a head erasement, right? We've got to erase the memories of the past and have them washed over by the blood of Jesus where we can't see them anymore. Jesus has removed them. Jesus has removed them. This is not a covering for our sin, as in the Old Testament. We are cleansed, washed away as if it never happened. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You have cleansed me as if it never took place, as if it's not there. We have now that new nature, the nature of the Father in us. God's new nature is in us, and we don't have a nature of sin anymore. Remember we talked about that, the, uh, we're a salvation, spirit, soul, and body. When I got recreated and became a new creature in Christ Jesus, the nature of Satan, the nature of sin is eradicated from me. I receive a new nature. It's not my nature to sin anymore. Yet my soul is not born again. My willpower can choose sin. Our soul realm is not born again. We do sin in the soul realm. So now we have that cleansing available to us of 1 John 1.9. Let's look at that. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, this has been called uh, the Clark Kent experience, right? Those of you old enough to remember Clark Kent and the uh, Superman television show, uh, right? My old man or Clark Kent runs into the phone booth, but he comes out as Superman. That's us. We go, when we should fail, we go to 1 John 1, 9. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness as if it never happened. We come out of that phone booth cleansed and cleaned. I have the assurance that I'm forgiven. That's one of the greatest freedoms of life we could ever find. I am forgiven. The past is cleansed by the blood. Not covered as in the Old Testament, but cleansed in the New Testament as if it never happened. The good news, amen? Number three here, in Christ, we have the assurance of victory over sin. We have the assurance of victory over sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. 
For God is faithful and who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. How about that? We no longer have to fear, oh, I just can't resist. Oh, yes, you can. The Spirit of God has given you the uh, opportunity to do so. We should always have the attitude of, I hate my sin. Not I excuse it, well, it's just the way I am. Uh, uh, I remember one guy, he had a lot of problems with alcohol. And I said, yeah, no. And his, his answer, well, I'm Irish. <laughs> no, guy, sorry. Pick your favorite nationality, doesn't matter. No, guy, sorry. There's no excuse there for that. Uh-uh, no way, no way, no way. You have to have the attitude of, I hate my sin, not I excuse it. We trust the Father and Holy Spirit will always bring a way for us of the escape and we must take the escape offer when it comes because he's not going to force his way on us. He's not going to force his way. We still have our free will. He will never violate our free will. Amazing things that God limits himself to. Do you ever think about that? One thing God limits himself to is he will never violate our free will. Isn't that an amazing statement? He will never violate my free will. I have the power to say no. Wow. Sometimes I wish he would violate my free will. No, I, I, he does not violate my free will. He will not do that. He won't force his way on us. So we want to grow closer here in our devotional life to the Lord when we pray that we would find power. And it comes from that intimacy with the Lord, that we find the power in us to, uh, to escape the tempter when he comes. Now, there's no sin in being tempted. What we do with it is what matters right? First, it comes as the temptation, but if we meditate on it, it grows. And our willpower then makes a choice of an act of our own free will that we will sin and miss God. Sin is simply missing the mark. Uh, God sets a mark for us that we can't keep. Only Jesus can keep it for me. I remember one time I saw this Olympic thing, this, uh, this Olympic skater, and She's skating, doing her thing, you know, figure skater. And um, what's the perfect score? 6.0 for, for those who remember Olympics for skating? I think it's 6.0. Anyway, she's doing this thing on, on, on the ice, and they're commentating, oh, this is going to be a 6.0 performance, which is extremely rare. All of a sudden, boom, she falls on her bottom, pops right up again, keeps on skiing, but she couldn't get a 6.0 because she made one mistake. That's us. We can't keep the law of God of ourselves. If I could, what do I need Jesus for? Because I can't, I desperately need him. He keeps it for me. His victory now becomes my victory of what I could never do for myself. He's done for me. It's like, um, but he doesn't give us rules to follow. He keeps it for me. If I want to be a home run hitter, I'm an old guy, so I'll think of Mickey Mantle. I might want to hire Mickey Mantle. Mickey, could you teach me to hit? All right, here's how you hold it. And guess what? As best as Mickey could do to teach me to hit, I'll never be Mickey Mantle. Ah, but what if Mickey could come and live inside me and hit for me? I would do a lot better. That's Jesus. Jesus doesn't teach me how to avoid sin. He comes to live in me and keep the law perfectly for me that I can't keep of myself. 
He keeps for me what I cannot keep of my own ability. He's the one who keeps me. He's the one that my faith is in. Because I could never have done this impossible without him. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Here we have a key to living a victorious life over sin. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for the one who has died is free from sin. Wow. I don't know if you've ever noticed at a funeral, but the guy lying there in the coffin ain't worried about sin. He can't do it. He's dead to this world. In the spirit realm, so is my ability. You know, this is an interesting expression here. It appears more than once. Our, this body of sin, that's something we don't catch. It's an expression from the first century. One way to punish people in the Roman Empire, this is capital crime stuff, uh, they would, this is bizarre, they would take a corpse and tie it to you. And wherever you would walk, the corpse would go with you. You're catching this now? You've got a dead person rotting on top of you, and you can't get him off. This is a punishment of the Roman Empire. And eventually, whatever killed that corpse is going to kill you. I mean, they didn't understand microbes and bacteria, but they understood this will kill you. And he called it, I don't know how to say it in Latin, they called it the body of death. The body of sin. Not sin. They call it the body of death. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's speaking to a people in his culture who understand this. The body of sin might be done away with. The body of death that the Romans had as an execution would no longer be uh, attached to me. He removed from me that body of sin, that body of death that I no longer have to be tortured with. Because obviously... Uh, so many people in life, uh, you know, are so weighed down with sin that they can't get rid of, can't get off. But yet, when Jesus sets us free, he sets us free. And we're amazed that what was a, now something we could never have gotten rid of ourselves, he has taken away for me. And we know we've been freed from that body of sin, that body of death. So the point here is the power of sin has been broken off us. If we live crucified, if we live with Ralph on the cross, not no longer Ralph living around anymore with his free will, but Ralph on the cross giving myself to the Lord, I can live free from the slavery of sin. I can have the assurance of victory over sin. I can have the assurance. That's good news. All right, number four here in Christ. We have the assurance of answered prayer. So we've got the assurance of salvation here, the assurance of forgiveness, the assurance of a victory over sin. Number four, the assurance of answered prayer. That is so cool. Father God wants to grant the requests we ask of him. We don't have to beg him. We don't have to give money to get our prayers answered. We don't have to suffer for hours and hours crawling on our knees to make it happen. He freely gives us. If you think for a second, if you're a good parent and you know how to give good gifts to your children, and we're certainly not perfect in the natural, wouldn't you think Father God 
can do far better than I could ever do? Wouldn't you think Father God uh, can give good gifts to us when we ask of it? And I've I've heard people say, uh, I can say no to my kids, but I can't say no to my grandkids. And being a grandfather now, I know what that feels like. It's a terrible thing. Yep. Uh, If I can know how to be nice, how much more, how much more does my Father God know how to be good to me? He wants to answer my request. John chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus is speaking. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. If we don't ask, we don't receive. My brother here shared that on Wednesday recently on prayer. Yeah, we don't ask, we don't receive. And it tells us here in Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, and whatever you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive it all. So we ask believing. We ask with the assurance that he wants to hear from me. We ask with the assurance that he's interested in my life. The mighty God of the universe is interested in my life. My life. I remember one time we, uh, I was, this is many years ago, probably the late 70s, I think. I was at a church and there was somebody ministering who had very strong gifts of healing. And um, this one particular uh, uh, lady, she's a believer, uh, and she went up and she received instantaneous healing at the altar for whatever the problem she had was. I don't remember what it was. Anyway, she sat down and her daughter said to her, did you get prayer for that other problem you have? Oh, well, no, I didn't want to ask for too much. Come on. No, that's not how it works. I didn't want to ask for too much. That's a, that's a common belief. He wants us to ask. He wants us to know all the details of our life and ask him. He wants us to receive. Yet, when we ask, we always have to remember, we have to ask with the right motives. Motives mean everything. James chapter 4, verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on what you request on your pleasures. Okay, so James here tells us, uh, he's implying here, the selfish motives that serve ourselves are sins against the law of love. All selfishness is a sin against the law of love. To love the Lord our God first, to love our neighbors as ourselves. We never ever want to sin against the law of love. We are required. You know, one day we'll never be examined by the Lord what we had in our heads, but we will be examined by the love we did or did not show. He'll always ask the question, did we love? And so here we have a very important issue that we ask with the right motives. We go to the Word of God. He's revealed the right motives to us. His Word is His will. How can I know the will of God? Read the Word of God and you found His will. And we ask with the right motives. And when we ask with the right motives, we have the confidence to know what we ask in His name. He wants our joy full. That's why I said it's a promise book. You find the promises of God. That's his will towards you. You know that you're asking in, in, in the right will. Amen. I can be assured of this. The assurance of prayer. Good stuff. Number five here. We have the assurance of guidance. The assurance of guidance. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Love that scripture. When we first got married, uh, my wife and I would do needlepoints together. Yes, I did needlepoints. Real men do needlepoints. And the, one of the first ones we did, they're called samplers. One of the first ones we did was this scripture. I always, always want, only wanted to do scriptures. And we, you know, framed it, put it on the wall. And because this was one of our favorites, it was obviously a favorite of so many believers. So we, so we got the needlepoint scripture. I still have it to this day. And now she doesn't want them on the wall anymore. I refuse to give them up. We did these together. And I love this scripture on a needlepoint. And we trust in the Lord with all our heart. And that means we will get guidance from him. If I don't lean on my understanding, it's like the bicycle thing. If you ride your bicycle and you're only looking in front of you, you're going to fall down. You got to look down the road. My Lord looks down the road for me. I'm always looking ahead of me. I can't see down the road. He's always looking down the road if I will trust him. And he gives me guidance. So we trust in the Lord with all our hearts. That's a faith walk. I'm trusting in things I don't understand with my head that I have to believe that he wants to guide me. And I receive that. That means I'm not trusting in my intellect. I'm not trusting in my talents. I'm not trusting in my money. I'm not trusting in my connections. I'm entrusting that nothing that I have is an advantage for me. I'm trusting in something beyond myself. In the flesh, this is impossible to do. But by faith, if I live crucified, it's very possible. I trust the Lord in the days ahead. You know, so many people, you meet them, and they're good people. They really fear the days ahead. It doesn't take much to know you live in a crazy world today. Really crazy world. I, I'm, I'm on the, the belief, as I've heard, there's more pressure on people today than there ever has been on humanity in the past. The only difference would be a time of war, if you're in a war zone. That's the only difference which is a greater time of pressure. But there's more pressure on people in life today, more things to cause them to want to fear of the unknown, fear the days ahead. I meet them all the time. Man, I can tell you I have no fear of the days ahead because I just trust him. Oh, you're kind of dumb. I'm dumb then, sorry. I don't want to uh, live the news. I want to pray the future because my future's in him. And uh, my gosh, you listen to the news today, you, you got to fight off depression. I refuse to fear. I refuse to fear the days ahead. He meets us as we go down the road. Don't know what's going down the road 10, 20 years from now. I trust him. I trust him. I trust him in my eternity. Why wouldn't I trust him in this age? <clears throat> um, John, uh, never mind, Jeremiah. Chapter 33, verse 3. A lot of you know this scripture. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you. I like that. Call to me and I will answer you. I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. That sounds like it should be a scripture on a sampler to, to, to uh, uh, then put on the wall. He asks me to call upon him and he will answer me. My gosh, this is in the Old Testament. This is, a, this is a New Testament revelation in the Old Testament. He'll tell me the great and mighty things that I don't know. I need to know that. There's a lot of great and mighty things I don't know. I need to know. He'll just tell me. I, he's invited me to call upon him for counsel and guidance. 
the counsel and guidance you and I need to navigate our lives, He has for us. All we have to do is call upon Him. The question for all of us is, will I live this way? Will I cling to Him? Too many people only go to the Lord for guidance when they're desperate. When the world is falling apart in front of them, then they go call upon Him. Why didn't you do that a lot earlier? You might not be in the situation you're in. You know, uh, I don't know about you, but I've met people that really have destroyed themselves with bad investments, and it's always the same. Did they ask the Lord first, should I invest in this? I remember more than once looking at investments and hearing, no, don't do that. Okay, stop. I didn't go, but why? Brokerage house so-and-so says I should. All I had to hear was no. Okay, no. Don't go down that road. Okay, no. You call upon him. And you can avoid all kinds of hardship in life that you shouldn't have or have to have. Amen. On this thought here, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, one of the most important scriptures for us when it comes to guidance. Colossians 3, 15, let the peace of Christ to which you are indeed called in one body rule in your hearts and be thankful. This is something easily that can go over our heads here. And it's the word rule. In the original Greek here, the best way we can understand this is, it's, uh, one translation actually says this, let it be the umpire. That's basically what the original Greek is telling us, let it be the umpire. That we understand. If you think of sports, what does the umpire do besides aggravate the players on the field? What does the umpire do? He makes the final decision. When the umpire has spoken, it's over. Don't argue, it's over. It's finished, it's done. It, he has made a ruling. Peace is to be our umpire in our hearts. Very often when you don't know what to do and what direction to go in, you find out where peace is leading you. If peace leaves, stop. That's not good. Don't do that. Let peace rule in your hearts. Give you a classic example where I was dopey. This was many, 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 many years ago. Um, I had uh, taught guitar classes in uh, Catholic schools that couldn't afford music programs. I worked for somebody, and he did band, and I did guitar classes. Well, in the summertime, there's no school. There's no employment. There's no money. So I needed to find a place to work, couldn't find a place to work for the summer. This one daycare center uh, was looking for um, a daycare worker for the summer, like a glorified summer camp for, for little kids. And I, so I, I found the job. She offered me the job. And my wife said to me, I don't have peace about this. Oh, I found a job. That's, we, we need money. I don't have peace about you working there. Oh, come on. Gave all the reasons why you're wrong. So I started working there for about a week. And the lady said, you know, I shouldn't have hired you. I can't afford you. Oh, now no job. If I had only listened, yes to your wife, if I had only listened to the believer's peace ruling, I wouldn't be in that jam. I didn't get it because my head wasn't listening to the Lord. My heart wasn't listening to the Lord. I was listening to myself only. She was listening to the Lord and peace left. No, don't do this. This is a mistake. And I didn't listen. I refuse to listen. Boy, did I learn a lesson. When peace is in your heart 
you're okay. When it says no, you stop. Something's wrong, stop. Don't do this. Don't go there. Don't do that. Stop. I don't know about you, but I've walked in buildings at times and the peace of God left me. As soon as I walked in, I walked out. Peace of God is telling me, don't go there. Or whatever. Or you meet people, you don't know who in the world they are, and the peace of God says, "Uh uh-uh, foul ball. You go, okay, don't want to get to know this person. And you back off. I don't know why. Don't need to know why. The peace left, I let the peace of God rule in my heart. Learn that the hard way. But I'll tell you, Uh, It works all the time. The Lord wants to guide us. We have that assurance from Him, but we have to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. He'll never force you. But sometimes it can get real, real loud when it says no. And you go, oh, I'm not listening. I should be listening now. Uh, By all means, you want to listen. But the peace of God will always guide you. It it is one of the most important, most foundational, uh, and obviously very spiritual ways to live your life is do you let the peace of God rule in your hearts? We have an assurance that he will guide us. Okay, number six here, the last one I have for uh, guidance uh, or for uh, the assurance lessons here. Uh, Number six is in Christ we have the assurance of... He has a plan for our lives. Very closely related to the guidance one. But this speaks of the big picture. He has a plan for our lives. We have the assurance that he has that. Back to Jeremiah. Chapter 29. You probably have heard this. Verses 11 to the beginning of verse 14. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for a welfare, that means a, that means a hope. Plans for a welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me, come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search uh, for, me, for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes. That is so serious, so packed full of stuff there. Doesn't mean search for him half-hearted and when there's only television commercials on. No, search for him with all your heart, where he is the focus of your heart's attention. I have stopped life that I would hear from him. Uh, so many testimonies of that that I've heard over the years in people's lives. Uh, I got to get serious and hear from the Lord here, and they do. And he gives them a plan for their future and a hope. How about that? Isn't it good to know he has a plan for our lives? Any plan I think I have for my life is dopey. It'll serve selfishness. It'll serve my carnality. It will never serve the Lord. I want his plans for my life. As I spend time in his presence and pursue him, he reveals those plans to me. Will you spend time in his presence, especially if you're young? Will you spend time in his presence to find out what those plans are? Well, what if I'm not young? That's okay. God is the God of new beginnings. You're never too old to have a second chance. You're never too old to start all over again. I remember a quickly, quick, quick, quick story. One brother in the Lord always wanted to be used of the Lord to teach the Word of God. Eh, never really happened. He became a biology teacher worked his entire life as a biology teacher. He retired, 
and him and his wife became quite skilled on the topic of prayer intercession. He retired from, uh, I think it was high school he taught. And at age 65, he became, not that he did anything, he became in demand worldwide to teach on prayer intercession. Whatever ministry he believed he wanted, he got at age 65 and toured the world teaching on prayer intercession. Problem was he was old. He had to take naps in between teachings. True, true story. And he's like, couldn't this have happened 40 years ago? It is what it is. What can I tell you? But the Lord had a plan for his life. And him and his wife became uh, a mother and father in the Lord to many fine pastors across the world as uh, teachers of prayer intercession. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. So as I spend time in his presence, he reveals those plans to me. He wants me to pursue him. He delights in me when I pursue him. Did you ever view that? The Lord is waiting for you to run after him and he'll, and he'll net, let you find him. Isn't that amazing? Uh, so I want his vision for my life, right? I don't want to make career decisions. I want to make vision decisions. I want to make decisions for my life based on the vision God has given my life. Um, Maureen and I, we, we knew a guy many years back when the church first started. He was offered a very lucrative job in England in a bank. And, uh, and very lucrative job. And he said, wait a minute, can I commute to Tom's River from there? And they looked at him and went, what? No, I can't do that. No, I don't, I don't want the job. Do you know how much money we're offering you? My vision's in Tom's River where God will use my life, not England. This is a distraction. They thought he was out of his mind. They didn't know Christ is their Savior. What else are they going to say, right? They think money's supposed to impress you with everything. He was following the vision in his life, not the career opportunity before him. That is a believer who knows what God's plans are for his life and makes decisions accordingly. So, um, his plans for me, they give me assurance that my days ahead will be blessed in him. My God of assurance. Assurance here of salvation, right? We looked at assurance of uh, forgiveness. We looked at the assurance of victory over sin, answered prayer, guidance, and now a plan for my life. So I've been speaking on this God of assurance tonight, obviously. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> when I said all these things about assurance, um, of course, our greatest assurance is knowing we have him in eternity. I can trust him with my life beyond the grave. That's my greatest assurance, which we didn't uh, focus on tonight. Knowing Christ is your Savior, my true citizenship is in heaven, not in this physical body. The goal one day is the glorified body that Jesus can only provide for me. So on all these points here on assurance to consider, I want to do one more quick concept on a definition of assurance from uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22. So much more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. In the King James, guarantee here is surety, the surety of a better covenant. And surety here in the New Testament Greek implies stability in the promise. That the promises he has for me have stability. I want him to be 
the stability of my times. In fact, I did not, we're not turning there, but in Isaiah 33, verse 6, I think, that's one of the foundation scriptures here for the Church of Grace and Peace of why this church started, where Jesus, it's Old Testament, but where, where Jesus is the stability of our times. He would be the stability of our times. This church, one of its purposes of why it exists on the earth, not the building, but the, but the church that the Lord has started, is that he would be the stability of my times. That people would come here, and this particular body of believers offers the stability of Christ for the days they live in. He is the stability of my times. So here we have Jesus is that, that security. Um, in W.E. Vine, a great Greek scholar, about this surety here in Greek, he wrote, God is the guarantee, and this guarantee is secured on the grounds of Jesus's perfect sacrifice. Which means it's because of Jesus, I can trust you, Lord. I can trust you, Jesus. I can trust that these promises are yes and amen to me. Jesus is all the assurance I need. He's a testimony greater than my five senses. He's a testimony greater than the circumstances of life, which often do not agree with the promises of God's Word. Life circumstances. All of us have been challenged to one degree or another in life, and uh, we have to learn that experience uh, will tell us often to agree with life circumstances, but they don't agree with the Word of God. What will I do when the Word of God and life circumstances are at odds? I agree with the Word of God first. And therefore, what I see that's out of harmony with the Word of God has to change. So it's our choice. Will we trust Him? Even when the five senses of life and the circumstances of life don't agree, will I still trust Him? When they confront me and say, uh, no, that's not the way it works. I'm telling you that's the way it works because he's promised it. Will I trust him? Therein lies faith. This is our faith walk. Will we trust him? I'd like to invite back here uh, Andrea and uh, Doug, if they would come up. And uh, we're going to do Blessed Assurance one more time. So I want you to come up to the altar, if you would, that you could uh, be in the presence of God here. Altars are special. You can't understand it with your head. God does something at an altar that he doesn't do in other places. There's a special work of grace at an altar. Whenever there's an opportunity to be at an altar, like you know, on a Sunday morning perhaps, or even a Wednesday night, you don't have to sit in your seats. You can be right here worshiping. There's something special at an altar taking place. I want to close with, as they're getting ready, um, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 and 36. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance. How about that? We need to endure. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what he has promised. Our God of assurance has promises for us. And as we will endure, I don't know how long endurance is. I don't know. Is it all the days of your life? Is it for a brief period? I don't know. We need to endure. We need to never let go. Well, what did Churchill say? Never, 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 never give up. He was right. We never give up. We have a God of, of, of assurance, and we must endure. Let's do that blessed assurance once again and just thank you, Lord, for your goodness.
Jesus is mine. so much. Thank you. Let's just close in prayer here. Father God, we thank you that our assurance is in you and we will never be disappointed. We thank you, Lord God, that we trust you with the days ahead for everyone here, Lord, in their personal lives, Father, dealing with various things 
uh, that are pressing against them. Father God, we thank you. We can trust you. We may not see the end here from today, but we trust you, Lord God, that you are actively working on our behalf. And all you ask, Lord, is that we believe you and trust you and that you will take care of, Father God, these issues that come against us in life as we stand uh, believing, Father, your word, believing your promises, Lord God. Father, I ask a blessing on everyone here today, Lord, those watching on, uh, on the uh, internet, uh, Father, those that would listen by podcast, that Lord God, uh, we would walk in the God of assurance, that that would be our confidence daily, Father God, for our assurance will never disappoint. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 Praise the Lord and amen.